If you have your bulletins, take them out and your outlines as we go through Deuteronomy. When I first became a believer, I remember in 1972, like a lot of people, and you know when. Go, go, go. Uh, some of you do. January 15, 1972. But when I accepted the Lord, I, I was real excited. My life was drastically changed. I met the creator of the universe. He changed my life. He became real. Not a figment of my imagination. I met a real living God. So he drastically changed me. I was all excited. I was reading the Bible and I was praying and I was sharing my faith and I was just doing so many. And so the neighborhood started talking about Larry and, and, you know, his fanaticism. I'm not a fanatic too much. Uh, As you know, I am. I'm a fanatic about everything I do in life. So so I... uh, got excited about the Lord, but this was different. So, but people were waiting. This phase, they figured, well, you know, it'll fade out. And, you know, they're still looking. It's only about, uh, what's it, 42 years now. And they're still looking. They figure it's just a phase in Larry's life. He's, it's going to fade. And so they would watch me to see if my preaching, my practice met my preaching. They wanted to see that. They could hear my words. They could see what I was teaching. But they wanted to see, will he stop drugs? Will he start living morally? Will he start doing things right and kind and, and good for others? They, they had their idea. And when I say that, that's, that's what Moses is doing throughout the whole book. And he's constantly teaching that our preaching and our belief should match up with our lives and our practice. Believers that just huddle and meet in their Bible studies and teach doctrine and don't do a thing for anybody, that's not good. They're saved, but that's not what God intended. He wants them to always go together. That's what Moses has been teaching. Your belief and your practice should go together. It should work together. That's what he's constantly teaching throughout this book. God is concerned about the practical, everyday life, not just being able to spout out theology. That's a lot, a lot of times what problem people have when they go to Bible school and seminaries. They can spell out theology, but they don't do an earthly thing good for anybody. And God is concerned. God is concerned about purity. Listen to this word, purity, in your belief and in your practice. God is concerned with your daily needs. God is concerned with people, not just belief. And so when they ask the Lord, His disciples said, Yeshua, can you teach us to pray? How should we pray? That's a constant prayer on everybody's heart. And the Lord answered them. It's very interesting because you you know the the Lord's prayer, which really isn't the Lord's prayer. It should be called the disciples' prayer. The Lord is teaching the disciples how to pray, but we're not going to go there. But it's a special prayer. And you know it basically, and I'm not preaching on that, but really in that prayer there's only two areas that the Lord is teaching. And you can divide them up. There's like six things. The first three things, he's saying, just talk to God about God, our Father. That's just focus on our Father, who art in heaven. That's a whole new thing. First, he's our Father. That's how we should be praying. Talk to Dad, who art in heaven. What's that mean that he's in heaven? Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. What does that mean? Let me just skim over it. Setting apart, sanctifying God's holy name. Your kingdom come. The kingdom will come one day. But he says, on earth, now. I want your kingdom right now in my heart. So the first part of the prayer is all about God. That's how we should be praying. Instead, we pray, gimme, 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 gimme. 
Oh, I want, 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 want. I need, 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 need. If you just focus on God and His attributes and His glory, that's good prayer. Then the second part comes to us. Yeshua says, pray first, talk to God, then talk to God about your family. That's what the whole prayer is all about. Look. He says in uh, Luke 11.1, 1, Lord, teach us to pray. Just like John taught his disciples. So Yeshua says, and there's two different places, Matthew 6 and, and Luke 11, but here he says, he says, well then pray then in this way. I, I left off the first part about God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Kingdom come, will be done. Now I get the second part about people. And he prays. Give us today my bread. God's concerned about bread. We're going to see that. Forgive me. Because I should be giving, forgiving my brothers and sisters. Protect me from falling into evil and sin and temptation. See, the first part's all about God. second part's all about us. We're to do good for each other. And the prayer is constantly focused. Give us our daily bread. Forgive me as I forgive others. It's all about the family. So I think I was speaking, speaking to Steve today. And he said that when he's going through Exodus, what God is so concerned, it's so cool. God is concerned about the community of Israel very, very much. And he's also concerned about the individual. And that's what we see constantly. God's same concern with his body and the individuals. So we're supposed to do good to each other. Proverbs 3. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. When's in your power to do it? Do good when you can. Don't say they don't deserve it. Do good when you can. Galatians. So then while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people. We should be doing good for all people, especially to believers. Titus. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds. You remember that famous movie? He wants us to be good deed-doers. Remember that? No? Wizard of Oz? Okay. Um, good deed-doers. Uh, where was I? Titus 3. This is a trustworthy statement concerning these things. I want to speak confidently. So that those who have believed in God, you claim to be a believer, the world's looking at you. Those who are believers in God, you'll be careful to engage yourself in good deeds, which is profitable for everybody. You see, they go together. You should be pure in your doctrine. And I always do that and interview people for jobs or coming to Shuva. You want to know where they graduated. I was just talking to someone yesterday about uh, just working. And I said, so where did you graduate? Now, for me, when I ask, that tells me a whole story about what he believes. And he told me he graduated a certain seminary. I go, oh. And so I know what he believes. But then I saw his life and his practice, everything changed. But they, they sort of have to go together. You want both. And so, um, so he wants us to be good. To, so what is Moses? In fact, someone said to me today, what are you preaching on? Usually I can tell you one topic. But Moses has given me a rough time in Deuteronomy. I shied away from Deuteronomy, but I've been loving doing it. But this time I'm reading this chapter because if I just do a verse, we'll be there till the millennium. But so I'm trying to do chapters. And, and usually he focuses on a thought. But here in this chapter, his thought is care about everybody, do everything good. And he says little, little, little things. I said, Moses, stop. And he's just throwing out a bunch of things. And so, all I could come up with, basically, that he's, uh, Moses is trying to teach us today is purity. In doctrine and behavior. I saw that in a little section. I could have focused just on that. Then I see, he's dealing, then he shifts to justice. What is it? Justice for the individual, for the community. Equal and fair justice. Because societies, listen, Israel was an experiment. Not really. 
But God was doing something unique and different with the community of Israel than all the other nations of the world. Not that I'm saying it's the same, but 238 years ago, there was also an experiment. It really was. We are the great experiment in this world. Not that God did it, but America is the great, great experiment that no world, no one's ever seen before what God wanted from this country. I'll deal with that in a minute. But anyway, justice for everybody. And he cares about your daily lives. God cares about everything you do and your needs. Thank you, Moses. You can't make it simple. Make, give me one thought today. Anyway, so that's what he's teaching us. So let's go on, if I can. Okay, first thing, let me try to divide it up a little bit. First, God cares for the family. He cares for the family and your needs. Uh, you see, Moses is constantly dealing with that. He deals with family issues, of course. Moses, everyone look up here, because I say this each week. Remember, he's preaching a sermon. He's preaching three sermons in the book of Deuteronomy. He's about to die, and he's, guys, guys, you're going in. I gave you the law in the last 40 years. The priests, Levites, have the law. This is how you live it out. And so Moses is giving you illustrations on how to live. It's not necessarily the illustration I would give you, but he's giving illustrations. So sometimes we don't really relate and understand them, but we try to figure it out. So Moses is saying, first we see, he deals with the family and their needs. God cares for the family. So he starts here uh, when he's dealing with the family, and he's trying to tell us this family is very, very important. It's different than the rest of the world. It's a unit. The family is a picture of God in Israel. The family is a picture of Messiah and his body. No, Moses didn't say that, but we know that later on. It's a picture of the unity and harmony that God wants in the home. Is God's relationship with his community. Never to be seen before. See, God is the father and we're the family. So, he, so he, this is what he starts with. And he really, he starts, it starts with husbands. And Moses says, Deuteronomy 24, 5. When a man takes a new wife... He's very practical. Just getting married. He shall not go out with the army, nor be charged with any duty. A man, that's normal in Israel. They're going into the land. You're going to conquer the land. You got duties. You got army. You got to go. A man, he just got married. Got to leave. Sorry, hon. Israel's in danger of going under. God wasn't concerned about that. God says, you don't worry about Israel. I got you covered. This is a good man. We need him in the army. God says, no, 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 no. I'll take care of your army. You don't have to build up your army. You don't need horses. You don't need kings. You don't need anything. He's been saying that. God says, you need me. Do what I tell you. I'll take care of the rest. That's what Moses is preaching. So when he, got, when he gets married, don't let him go in the army. Don't be charged with any duty. And it's, that doesn't mean today is the same, but there's a principle here. He says, he shall be free at home one year and shall give happiness to his wife. I know what you're all thinking, sex. Now listen, it's more than sex. He will give happiness to his wife means that he will meet her needs, not just physically, and spiritually, and emotionally. Husbands are to stay home and give joy to his wife. But what about the real issues of life? God says, don't worry about them. You trust in me, I'll take care of all the problems in the land. I'll take care of your produce and your crops. I'll take care of the enemies. I'll put away. Husbands, build up your family. That's what he's really saying here. Give happiness to your wife. Whom, uh, let me see. Give happiness to the wife whom he has taken. He's dealing with husbands. We see this in, in the uh, New Covenant. The, we, we talked a little bit about last week. Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives. Now, when you come into my office, I'll just tell you now, wives, you want to come in if you're having trouble with your husband into my office. Because I'm tough on the husbands. Uh, 
I am. Because I think before God, they're more responsible. They're not equal. Yeah, they're equal. God, husband's more responsible. He's the head of the home. He's responsible to love, nurture, care for his wife. He, he's responsible for everything that goes on in the home. Everything. I say, always. People say, well, who's supposed to do cook? Husbands. Who's supposed to do the dishes? Husbands. Who's supposed to take out the trash? Husbands. Who's supposed to teach the children? Husbands. Who's supposed to take the kids to school? Husbands. Wait a second. What are the wives needed for? They're a compliment and a help. So husbands, you treat your wife well and she might help you. (laughs) Husbands are responsible. Love, nurture, care for your wife. Make her want to lift you up and encourage you. I forget who I was talking with yesterday. It was all the time. I go out to eat all the time with Fran. And the waitress comes over I, and he looks at us. I says, oh, I want to introduce my girlfriend. He goes, oh, really? I said, yeah, yeah. She's trying to get me to marry her. 40 years, she's my girlfriend. They think it's cute. She is. She's still my girlfriend. And that's how guys should be talking about their wives. You want to honor them, cherish them, lift them up, hold the doors for them. They deserve it. It's like I said last week. They're your girlfriend. Date them. We need to date them, compliment, lift them up, encourage them. Look what it says. Husbands, love your wives. It means, but not just love them a little. Just like the Messiah loved his congregation. Can't do it. Not like that. Well, you say, well, how did he love us? Here it is, guys. He died for us. He gave us all for us. That's what you are supposed to do for your wives. You're responsible for her Reading, praying, nurturing. You're the one. God's going to say, you're going to say she wasn't spiritual. God says, well, did you help her? What did you do? See, I'm thankful and proud. Shouldn't use the word proud. But I'm glad my children, my wife, every day for 40 years, first thing in the morning, they see dad in the room reading and praying. That speaks to them. That's challenged them. That's what we need to do. Love, nur- I can't. I'll never stop. Okay, First Peter. First Peter says, you husbands in the same way show honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers won't be hindered. Your relationship is ruined with God if you're not caring for your wives. Now, this focuses on husbands. I'll mention a thing about a wife too. Here we go. Wives, Ephesians, you have a job too. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Husbands, you're never allowed to say that to your wives. The only time a wife should ever hear, be submissive and subject, subject to your husband, the only time a wife should ever hear that is when I'm up here saying it. You should never say that to your wife. Because if you say that, she has every right to point, love me like Messiah, yeah, come on, it's, it's more on you. Wives, be subject. So that, uh, let me see. And the wife must see that she respect her husband, encourage, lift him up. You guys earn it, she'll lift you up and respect you. There's a lot of good passages, wives, real quick, if I can. First Timothy. Likewise, women, I want you to adorn yourselves with proper clothing. It means dress properly. Don't, don't tempt the men. Be careful the way, be modest, women. Modest, discreet. Not with braided hair, you can braid your hair. It just didn't mean, don't call attention to yourself. Don't, not with braided hair, gold, pearls. You can, ladies, it's no problem with gold or pearls. Husbands, buy them for them if you can. Anyway, costly garments. Just don't focus attention on you. <laughs> but rather, women, you should have good works. This is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Look at me quickly. First Peter 3. Women, adorn, uh, your adornment must not be, merely be external. Braiding of the hair, wearing gold, jewelry, 
putting on dress. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Am I there? Good. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands. That's what women are supposed to be like. Titus, women, be encouraged. These are beautiful words. How how you should live your life. Older women, uh, likewise, be reverent in your behavior, not malicious gossips, enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women. This is what you're supposed to do. To love your husbands. To love their children. To be sensible, pure, workers at home, building up the home. Be subject to uh, their own husbands that the word of God might not be dishonored. They want women to be sound in their speech and dignified. Husbands, that's what Moses is saying. Take care of your family unit. Children, you should be respectful of your parents. Parents, don't provoke your children. It's a beautiful thing to see parents with well-behaved, loving children who are respectful of adults. This is where Moses is going. He's concerned with the family. Look with me also. All right, let's get off that. Second, when he's concerned about the family and your daily needs. God cares about your daily bread, I said. He cares about the bread you eat in your family. He goes on, Deuteronomy 24, 6. No one shall take a handmill or an upper millstone in pledge for he would be taking a life in pledge. Well, you know, the, the, the mill, and the upper mill, and the lower mill, and the, the grinding wheel, they would grind bread. And so no one was allowed to take that from them because this was their life. Very, very simple, very pure. God cared about the very bread that we eat. He cares about the daily needs that we have. He cared about their bread. Now, if this was written in Italy, you'd say, you know, he cares about the pasta. (laughs) Or China, he cares about the rice. Israel, he cares about the pita. God cares for the bread that we eat. Just don't take anything that would make a person suffer. He does the same thing with the workers. 24, verse 14. You should not oppress a hired servant, someone who's working with you. Because he cares about the daily needs of the, the family, the bread they eat. He cares about the workers that they have. I love what Stephen said. God cares about the needy, the poor. That's what we do. We need to. He cares about the needy. Don't oppress the hired servant who is poor, needy. One of your countrymen who is your alien, who is in your land, in in your towns. You shall give him his wages today. Don't wait till tomorrow. He needs it today. Why did he need it today? Because he was poor. He had to go in the market and buy food for the day. God cares about the daily bread you eat. For he is poor, he sets his heart on it so that he won't cry to God and it becomes sin in you. God cares about your daily bread and your wages. That's like when Yeshua taught us to pray. Matthew 6, 11. Give us today our daily bread. Meet our needs today, Lord. Not our greeds, but our needs. Bread is important. God cares about the practical things in our life. Our bread, our clothes, Our transportation, the doctor bills, the dentist bills. God doesn't care about your luxury. He may give you that. That's a blessing if he chooses. But God cares about your daily needs. The beautiful picture that Moses says is, if you serve God, love God, 
You are his servant. That's what Moses is saying in his covenant with, in the book of Deuteronomy. The suzerainty, master, servant, covenant. God says, if you serve me and do my will and do my things and all that I ask you to do, I will take care of your daily needs. I will take care of your daily bread. That's what I want. I care about you. So if you are serving God, you don't have to worry. God will provide for your daily needs. He always has. He wants to provide. Many times, it's daily, every day. God has got me when I pray a lot of times. Every morning, one of the first things I do is I pray for my day. I woke up this morning and I prayed for my day. I prayed for my relationship with my wife and children. But I said, Lord, I'm going to services today. I need your help. I'm going to meet with people today. I need your help. I want to commit this day to you, Lord. I need your help. And I go through the whole day. Then sometimes, you know what I start doing? I say, oh, tomorrow's a busy day, Lord. And I start praying for tomorrow. And God says, whoa, 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 where are you going? I got tomorrow covered. Let's cover today. He cares about today. I said, but next week, where are you going again? He stops me all the time. God cares about my daily bread. My daily needs. Daily, it says, God, God has tomorrow covered. Then it says this. Give us this day our daily bread. The word us is very important. Believers are not alone. I can't just pray for my needs today. I got to pray for your needs. That's what he's teaching me. I am my brother's keeper. Give us. You could just say give me my daily bread. Doesn't. If I have two loaves, I might be called to give you one. I heard someone today say, are we going to take the offering, the special offering today? I said, yeah. He goes, good. I brought my checkbook. Beautiful. Because he has something he wants to give to others in need. God cares about our daily bread. For all of us, we give our time, effort, money. First, God cares for that. Number two, fill it in. God cares now. Moses sort of shifts from the family to justice and equality for everybody, the individual and the nation. Why? Listen, because it wasn't fair and equal and just in the societies in that, nation, in those, that world. It's the same thing today. God wants equality and justice. That's what he's calling for. He wants justice for all. And God cares about justice. And he first deals with God cares about life and freedom. This is such a beautiful picture as Israel goes into the land. Because the societies of that world did not have life and freedom. They were dominated and ruled by others. Deuteronomy chapter uh, 24 verse 7. Moses' illustration here. He goes on. If a man is caught kidnapping. That signals different things to us. It signals different things to Moses and his people. If a man's caught kidnapping any of his countrymen and sons of Israel... And he deals with them, one, violently. It doesn't say what he does. It doesn't say if he kills them. It deals with them harshly or violently. You kidnap someone. Or you sell them. Maybe you didn't treat them bad. You just stole them and sell them. So you need some money. Then that thief shall die. A little strict, Lord, aren't you? Why should he die? So you shall purge evil from among you. What was so evil? I don't think God's going just on kidnapping here, folks. I think he's going beyond. He's going, you're taking what belongs to a person. His self, his dignity, his possessions, his honor. You are ruining a life. You're taking away his freedom. All the societies of that world that time, countries since, don't value 
people. They never did. Whether the Canaanites, Babylonians, Greeks, Romans, forget it. Countries today of the world don't value the individual, the person. They value the leaders, the people who have all the money and the power. The people are not important. God cares about the individual. God does not want the power to go just to the few. And that's what I believe the great American experiment was in 1776. God wanted to change, not not back then and as well as today. We did something different. In all the other countries of the world, Europe, the aristocracy, the leaders, they had everything. The people weren't important. But here in America, that wasn't what it was designed for. America was designed to give life, freedom, individuality, opportunity to the individual. Government set aside. Put less on the government, more on the individual. We are here, here to build up one another, to encourage one another. I believe with all my heart, I'm not getting political, but as I see our policies in this government is taking away my freedoms, my individuality. That's what we're doing. That's the problem of government taking over. It's limiting me. Never designed to be that. God never wanted it. He wants the individual to flourish and grow. That, I'm here to help you. Here's something. I am not here to give you fish. I'm not called to give you fish. I'm here to teach you to fish. I want you to thrive and grow. I don't want to limit your freedoms. I want to make you great. And that's what I believe God wanted to do. I have a friend in Jersey. He and I differ. He's right, I'm wrong. He's definitely right, I'm wrong. He's Jewish, but I'm Jewish and I have the typical Jewish thing. Here's the Jewish thing. My children get in trouble. They grow. What does most Jewish parents do? How much? How much is the problem? That's what we do. Now, my friend, he has a lot of money. And his kids got in trouble. So I said, well, bail him out. You're loaded. What's the problem? I can't do that. Why? Oh, no, I'll sit down with him. I'll find a job for him. I'll work out the details. I'll work out how much he can pay each month. I'll work out all the details and I will get him out of it. He will get out of it on his own. Which teaches that child dignity, life, freedom. He can, do, he can grow. He, he becomes a person. You just pay for someone. That's no good. God wanted freedom for the individual. That's what I believe he's saying. Follow along. God desires equal and justice for all people. That's what he wanted for Israel. Deuteronomy 24, 16. Fathers shall not be put to death for their sons. Why do you want to put this in there, Moses? Because in that society, that's what happened. Fathers got in trouble. You killed the father, you killed the whole family. That's what they did. Every society did that. Children got in trouble, you killed the whole family off. That's what every society, that was normal. Not for God. Not for Moses. He says, fathers will not be put to death for the sons. The sons won't be put to death for the fathers. This was common. Everyone shall suffer for his own. Everyone will be put to death for his own. Every society. The Canaanites. You know all the ites in Israel. You know them, right? You can say them now? No? Okay. The Amorites. The Canaanites. The Gergesites. The Hittites. Hivites. The Jebusites. The Perizzites. I think I got them all. I might have missed one. Okay. But anyway. All the ites. One person in family, kill them all. That's normal. Rome did the same thing. 
You don't want to be associated with a family that is out of touch with a leader. Because if you were out of sorts with a leader, you were dead. That's really what's behind the statement when the Jewish people say to Pilate, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. He was scared. He didn't want to make Caesar upset because he and the whole family would be destroyed. Whether it was the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, the Romans, countries today, God wants something different. Everyone's standing on his own. Uh, 24, 17, verse 17. You shall not pervert justice. God wants justice for the individual and freedom. No partiality. You shall not pervert justice to an alien. And he picks the worst in society. I don't mean the worst. That most helpless in society. The alien. He's the most helpless. He says, don't pervert justice for an alien. Well, of course you would. That's what they did. You're just an alien. Forget that guy. He's not important. The people, the family, that's important. No, no, no. God wants everyone equal and fair justice for all. Freedom for all. The alien who's got no rights. God says he's got rights. He really says to Israel, remember Israel, you had no rights. But I cared for you. Now these have no rights. You care for, you are going to be different. He says to care for the alien, the orphan who has no rights. The widow, don't take their garment and pledge. Don't, don't, don't destroy them. Don't pray favoritism. Don't judge them with evil motives. But he says, you shall remember that you also were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I'm commanding you, do this thing. God cared for you. Now you care for them. God wants freedom, life, liberty, justice, equality for all people. All people. No partiality. We all have a tendency to do that. Look what he says. I love Deuteronomy 16. You shall appoint for yourself judges, priests, leaders, elders, officers in your towns, which the Lord your God has given you, according to the tribes. They shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not distort justice. Don't be partial. Don't take a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes. And then I love what he says. Justice and justice only. That's what you seek for. For all people. All people, justice and justice only. You shall pursue that, uh, that you may live and possess uh, the land which the Lord your God is giving you. That's the, really the picture behind. Remember when the Apostle Paul uh, or uh, Rabbi Saul, when he was standing on trial before Rome against, I think it was Felix Festus and Agrippa. And it said at one point he was before, I think it's Felix, and he was there. It's in Acts chapter 20, 22. It's not important, somewhere in there. But he's preaching. And it said, this Felix guy liked Paul's preaching. He was interesting. He told him good things. He spoke of righteousness and this and this. And he said, he liked it. And he would call him frequently. Bring that guy. I like hearing this guy. He's fun. And Paul was in prison there. And he brought him. And Paul would preach to this Roman official in the book of Acts. And it says he asked for him frequently. You know what also it says? Hoping that he would get a bribe. It says it. Because that's what they did. All Paul had to do is give him a lot of money. He was out. He was free. God says, no, no, don't do it. No purchase, no bribing. Leviticus 19, when God is speaking through Moses again to Israel, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great. You are to judge your neighbor fairly. Everyone's equal. You shall not go about as a slanderer. Don't slander. That destroys a people. You're not to uh, act against the life of your neighbor. We know that the same thing as the book of Jacob or James. 
James is very practical. He quotes mostly from Proverbs. He quotes from our life experience. And so, so he makes things very practical. And he says this in Jacob chapter 2. My brethren, don't hold your faith in our glorious Lord Yeshua the Messiah with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly, this, is, this relates to us. Someone comes into Shuvah with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes. Well, that's not kind of guy. Nice, come out of here. Forget you people. You sit right there. That's what people do all the time. We look for those. I've been accused of that on those blue cards. That's why we don't have them anymore. Anyway, I've been accused of that. Larry only cares for education, uh, wealth, and whatever, a few other things. So, yeah. Oh, celebrities. Because I remember we used to have a, a ball player, uh, Dave Newhand. He used to come in. So I talked to them. So people thought I gave him special treatment. People think I give people with money special treatment. That's why I don't know what you give. I have no idea. Don't walk up to me and say, I couldn't give this week. I don't know. I don't see the offerings. I don't look at them. I don't see a check. I don't sign a check. Because if I did, Dana would kill me. And so would John and Dave. Anyway, I'm not allowed. But I don't want to. I don't want it to flavor my opinion of you. God doesn't want that. You don't treat anyone special. In fact, he goes on. He goes, For if a man comes in your assembly dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one with the riches, and you say, Here, sit down here. You have a special spot. You poor man, you could be in the lobby. Talk to somebody. He says, You stand over there. Sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves? You become judges with evil motives. Don't be partial. Be fair, equal to all. Treat everyone fairly. You know, I get this a little bit on my trips to Israel and sometimes when I speak in churches. Sometimes I speak in churches uh, on, a, on a Sunday and I've spoken in churches that have a few thousand. I, I do. And, and I say, they're going to get my best. You know, there's thousands everywhere. And, you know, so they're really going to get me excited. I'm on, I'm I have gone into churches where there have been three people. Three people. And I hear the voice of God. I want your best. As if there's thousands. I don't care if you get a penny. You're going to give them every story you can. Fran was there and she says, you have to give them everything. I said, they get everything. I do my trips to Israel as if it's my first trip. You know the tour guides in Israel, the tour guides that we use, they say the people don't know if you cut this off. I say, no, they don't, but I do. I can't do that. You have to get my best all the time. Not that I'm afraid of you. I'm afraid of him. I am. I've been there preaching in a sermon. And I say, oh, the story, it's going to be long. I can skip it. And the Lord says, don't try it. Don't you go there. Because that person out there is waiting to hear your best that I have. Don't be partial to anybody, family members, anybody. God wants justice and justice only. Freedom, life, equality, fairness for all people. That, that's what I believe our country was trying to do to get back to godly values 238 years ago. And that's what God wanted. Let's move on here. God cares for the poor and the needy. This is the next one. God cares for the poor and the needy. Okay. Thank you. That's good. 
Good. Okay. Except, I knew there was a mistake here. You see that B? Sorry, Ian, I didn't get it this week. That B should be A in your outline. There it is, the next one. Right. Okay, good. God cares for, here we go. God cares for the poor. God shifts now. Moses shifts to deal with poor and needy people. And he says, when you uh, make your neighbor alone of any sort, really, I'm going to ad-lib now. Don't look down on him. Don't be arrogant. Don't stand over him and lord it over him. You have, they don't. You are equal. And that's what God wants. Don't you dare look down on anyone who doesn't have. He said, um, you shall not enter his house like you're in charge to take a pledge. I guess back in that society, you loan somebody, say, you got to give me something. Let me come into your house. I'll tell you what I want. God says, you're ruining his dignity and his honor. Don't you dare do it. But, but if he goes in, he'll give me something that stinks. And God says, I will honor you. You value him. It doesn't matter what he gives you. But Lord, it's not going to be equal. God says, but I'll take care of you. You don't have to worry about you. See, it's all a matter of trusting God. And so he says here, don't take, uh, you shall remain outside. And the man whom you make the loan shall bring you his pledge, what he wants. Let him feel like a human, a person. If he's a poor man, you can't take his, uh, let me see. If he's a poor man, you shall not sleep with his pledge, his coat. When the sun goes down, you shall surely return this, this pledge to him that he might sleep in his coat and bless you. And it will be righteousness for you before the Lord. Don't be arrogant. Don't look down. Don't make them feel bad as if you have and they don't. It could be trouble for you. That could be you. The Lord te- teaches us in Acts chapter 20. In everything I've showed you, Yeshua's speaking here, in, actually in the book of Acts, uh, that by working hard in this manner you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Yeshua that he himself said it is more blessed to give than receive it's all a matter of trust in that passage in Acts chapter 20 uh, Luke is describing uh, Rabbi Saul Paul as he's standing on a beach talking to the elders from Ephesus in a little town called Troas and as he's speaking to them he's telling them what a shepherd should do for his flock Acts 20. And he's telling us in that passage, Paul is saying, this is how you shepherd and care for the people. Not just the shepherds, the leaders, but all of us for each other. He said, a true shepherd should preach the word. And he deals with that. We're not going there. He said, a true shepherd should protect the people. We're called to do that. But then he says, a true shepherd should provide for the needs of others. That's what shepherds do. That's where he's quoting this. The Lord taught us it's more blessed to give than to receive. We know the passage in Galatians 6. Do not lose heart in doing good, for in due time you will reap. If you don't grow weary, don't grow weary, it's possible. So that while we have opportunity, let's do good for all people, especially believers. God cares for the poor and the needy. God cares for the needy. Look what he says, Deuteronomy 24. When you reap your harvest... And you've forgotten a sheep in your field. You're getting all your apples and oranges and everything in your field. You forgot, oh, I forgot that tree. Oh, I didn't get that one clean. When I see this, I think of me cleaning my plate the way I eat. I always grew up. My family always said I'd rather clothe them than feed them. I would clean the, I always do. It's got to be completely clean. And that's what they did when they they, uh, went into their fields and vineyards. They would clean everything. They wouldn't miss anything. God says, no, no. Go through it lightly. 
but I'm going to miss a lot. Good. But there's a lot going to fall on the ground. Good. That's what God wanted. Take what you need. Let the tree still have it. But there's a lot more to be taken. God says, don't worry about that. Well, a lot's falling on the ground. Let me get the tractors and get everything. No, leave it alone. That's what he's telling the people. Why? Because God has another people in view. When you harvest your field, you've, uh, and you've forgotten your sheep in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, the widow. God cares for the individual. That's what Moses is always telling the community. Be different than all the other nations of the world. Cares for the orphan, the widow. In order that the Lord your God may bless you in the works of your hands. He goes on, when you beat your olive tree, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, the widow. Don't, don't. Just strip it clean. When you're gathering the grapes and your vineyards, don't go over it again for the alien, the orphan, the widow, the, the poor, the needy. If you, rem- uh, you shall remember that you also were the poor, the needy, the orphan, the alien, the slave. You had nothing. And they treated you harshly, but I cared for you. When you're in the land of Egypt, therefore I am commanding you to do this thing. God cares. If you have, you're to give. God gave you, you're to give. So I, that's why I love quoting one of my favorite movies is Les Mis. It's just, what's the great, great movie? We've seen it now, it's become popular. But it's really, actually, the one you should see is with Charles Lawton and Frederick Marx. That's the real good one. But anyway, um, Les Mis is such a beautiful, the, the, the man who was convicted of stealing a loaf of bread in France for his family. They had no food. And they sent him 10 years in the galleys. And so then he got out. And he's marked, he's branded as a criminal. And he has to travel like 100 miles to his parole, his probation place. And he's going through the streets of Paris and it's raining and it's cold and no one will let him in. He can't sleep when he was sleeping on the streets of Paris. It's pouring rain, it's freezing. And he can't get in the inn. They don't want him because he's got that patch. He's a criminal. He's no good. He can't get in, can't get a job, can't get a bed. He's stuck out there. And so finally he goes, someone says, have you tried that house over there? And he goes over to that house where it's the priest. We don't know if he's a believer or not. But anyway, he goes in there. So he goes in there and the man lets him comes in. Gets out his best china. Gets out his silverware. Gives him a great meal. And this, the, the man, the, the criminal, Jean Valjean, says, aren't you afraid that I might tonight steal everything and murder you? And the priest says to him, well, aren't you afraid I might murder you? <laughs> anyway, so they all go to sleep that night. And the next day, they wake up. And the priest in his house, everything's stolen. All his fines, you know, everything, the china and all his silverware. It's all stolen. Jean Valjean stole it all, left. All of a sudden, there's a knock on the door. And in come the police. And in comes Jean Valjean in chains. And they say, we caught him fleeing with all your stuff. We knew it was your stuff, priest. Just identify it and tell us we'll take him off again. He was gone for the rest of his life. They took it out and the priest says, yes, all this is mine. He said, but the beautiful candlesticks here, Jean Valjean, you forgot these also. He says, I gave everything to him. It's so powerful. Because for the rest of the movie, everywhere Jean Valjean goes, Whenever he dares to think to do anything bad, the candlesticks are always there. God gave me. I have to give to others.
He was plagued by it for the rest of his life. God has given us so much. We have to think of the others less fortunate. Beautiful, beautiful picture. Ephesians 4. I love this. He who steals, used to steal, used to lie, used to cheat. That's the way we went through life. Don't steal anymore. But rather, work. The exact opposite. I love the way uh, Paul's writing this. Used to steal, used to rob. Now, don't do that, but work. It was easier to steal. No, don't steal. Now I want you to work hard. The opposite. Not only that, I want you to work performing with your hands what's good so that you have something. When you work hard, you'll get something so you can give it. Isn't that a great verse? Used to steal. Now I want you to work so you can have, so you can give. That's the picture. Giving to the poor, the needy. Titus, our people must learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. God cares for the poor and needy. And finally, last, God cares for purity and obedience. That's what Moses is dealing with in this passage. Finally, he, he concludes, purity. Purity in our lives and obedience. God desires for us to be pure and undefiled. He picks an unusual illustration. I could find other ways to preach this. But he picks an unusual illustration here. And Moses says in Deuteronomy 24, 8, be careful against an infection of leprosy. Moses, what are you talking about? That happens. Can't help that. Be careful about leprosy. Well, leprosy in that society, sure, God God allowed it. They got it. It didn't mean they sinned, but it was symbolic of sin, defilement, impurity, being unclean. And Moses is saying, if you are, be careful what you do. I want you pure. But there's a solution if this does happen. And Moses is going to... But the message he's telling us is be pure, be clean, and if you do wrong, I will give you an out. And Moses tells him here, I want you to be pure and clean. Be careful when you get filled with uh, leprosy that you diligently observe and do according to all that the Levitical priests teach you. I get nervous when I read that because you know what chapters he's talking about, don't you? Leviticus 13 and 14. We're not going to go there because we're all falling asleep. Anyway, the leprosy laws. So Moses is saying, you know, he doesn't want you to get leprosy. It can happen automatically or God can allow it. But if you do, then follow the proper procedures of being clean and pure. In that society, I read a few articles here, and it says it was symbolic of sin, defilement, unclean, being impure. God wants us pure, all of us, in thought, word and deed. Not just doctrine. He wants you pure in your life. Thinking pure thoughts. Being pure in your actions and deeds and caring for people. That's what God wants us to do. And that's what he was telling, uh, Moses is telling us. He wants us pure in all our deeds. There's a solution for us. The solution for Moses was, if you are defiled, this is what you do. Go to the priest. He'll take care of you. You'll do the offering. He'll cleanse you. Be careful. We see the solution for us. John, 1 John 3.3 3. If anyone who has fixed his hope on him purifies himself just as he is pure. And every one of us who has his hope fixed on Yeshua coming. You focus on him. Just as he is pure. 1 John chapter 2 verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you. So that you may not sin. Don't sin. Be pure in thought, word, and deed. 
I want to write these things. I want you to follow the Word of God. I want you to pray. I want you to observe my thoughts and ways. Don't sin. And if you do, we have someone praying for us, an advocate with the Father, Yeshua the Messiah, the righteous. He himself is the propitiation for our sins and not only for us, but also the whole world. I don't want you to sin, but if you do, you focus on him, he's praying for you, and then you can do something. Verse 9, if we confess, admit it, agree, go to the priest, do what he told you. That's what Moses, no, don't go to me, don't go to anybody, don't go to the priest. Anyway, I'm not talking about, that's what they did back then. But if we confess, go to God, the high priest, actually, Yeshua. He's faithful and righteous to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If we do say he doesn't want us, he wants us to be pure. He wants us to be clean. God wants obedience. And that's how it concludes this section. Deuteronomy 24.9. Out of nowhere. Why in the world did Moses put this? Remember what the Lord God did to my sister. Ah, okay. Remember what God did to Miriam on the, uh, on the way when you came out of Egypt. Miriam disobeyed God. Miriam sinned. And therefore he disciplined even Moses' sister. She spoke against Moses. She spoke evil against him. Then Miriam, uh, Numbers 12.1, then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. They came against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. She spoke against him. Uh, this is a, an interesting passage in Numbers because she speaks against Moses. And then God says, uh, uh, Miriam, uh, Aaron, uh, Moses, I need to talk to you. I'd be awfully scared every time I read this. They come to the tent of meeting. The cloud comes down. And God says to Miriam and to Aaron, you know, I speak to many prophets one way, but not so with your brother. He is different than everybody else. He I speak face to face with. How could you dare speak against my servant? How could you disobey me and go against him? And so we see, God says, he says, but Moses, my servant, he's faithful in all my house. When the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, she was a leper, Miriam, a symbol of sin and evil and defilement. She disobeyed God. And Aaron turned toward Miriam. Behold, she was leprous. And Moses cried to the Lord saying, Oh God, please heal her. And God was gracious. He healed her. But it says, let, God says, Let her be shut up for seven days outside the camp. And afterwards she may, she may be received again. So Miriam was shut up outside the camp for seven days. You see, God has called us in this section. Moses is telling us. We should care for purity in our doctrine Come on. No. 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 One more. Good. We should care for purity in our doctrine, in our practice. We should care about justice, equality for all people. In our daily lives, we should be concerned with people's daily lives and our needs. We are, listen carefully now this. We're going to close. One little story. We're called, everyone, to be pure and obey God. Write that somewhere. Two, what is Moses saying? We're care, we're, we are to be fair and just to everybody. But the thing that strikes me most here is we're to care for the poor, the needy, and each other with our time, 
money and our lives. We're supposed to give of ourselves to people. There's a story I, I, read, I read every 10, 12 years, but I, I want to read it here. We're supposed to care for those who can't care for themselves, for the needy. The boy's name was a little boy named Teddy Stollard. He was, he was one of the least. He was disinterested in school, musty, wrinkled clothes, never combed his hair. He had a deadpan face, expressionless, sort of glassy, uninformed stare. His teacher, Mrs. Thompson, spoke to Teddy as he always uh, answered in monosyllables. Unattractive, unmotivated, distant. He was just plain hard to like. You know some of those children. Even though his teacher said she loved all the children in the class the same, deep down she wasn't really honest. She got a certain perverse pleasure out of putting an X next to the wrong answers. She also put an F on his paper with a special flair. She should have known better because she had Teddy's records. And she knew the records. It said this, in grade one, Teddy showed promise with his work and his attitude, but poor home situation. Grade two, Teddy could do better. His mother is seriously ill. He receives little help at home. Grade three, Teddy is a good boy, but too serious. He's a slow learner. His mother died this year. Grade four, Teddy is very slow, but well-behaved. His father shows no interest. The holidays came. And the boys and girls in Mrs. Thompson's class gave her a special holiday present. Among the presents, there was one from little Teddy. She was surprised that he had brought her a gift. Teddy's gift was wrapped in brown paper and was held together with scotch tape. On the paper were written a couple words. Mrs. Thompson from Teddy. When she opened Teddy's present, out thought a gaudy rhinestone bracelet with half the stones missing and a bottle of cheap perfume. The other boys and girls began to giggle and smirk over Teddy's gift. Mrs. Thompson at least had enough sense to quiet them down, immediately put on the bracelet, putting on some of the perfume on her wrist, holding her wrist up to the other children to smell. She said, doesn't it smell lovely? At the end of the day, Teddy lingered behind, and he quietly said to her, Mrs. Thompson, Miss Thompson, you smell just like my mother. And her bracelet looks real pretty on you, too. I'm glad you like my presence. When Teddy left, Mrs. Thompson got down on her knees and asked God to forgive her. The next day, Mrs. Thompson had become a different person. She was no longer just a teacher. She'd become an agent of God. She was now a person committed to loving her children and doing things for them that would live on after her. She, she learned to care for the needy, the poor, the downhearted. She helped all the children, but especially the slow ones, especially Teddy Stollard. By the end of the school year, Teddy showed dramatic improvement. He had caught up with most of the students. He was even ahead of some of them. She didn't hear from Teddy for a long time after that. Then one day she got a note. He, he said to her, Dear Mrs. Thompson, I want you to be the first to know I will be graduating second in my class at the end of high school. Four years later, she got another note. Mrs. Thompson, they just told me I will be graduating first in my class. I wanted you to be the first to know. The university has not been easy, but I liked it. Love, Teddy. Four years later, Miss Thompson got another note. 
as of today, I am Theodore Stallard, MD. How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know. I'm getting married next month, the 27th to be exact. I want you to come and sit where my mother would have sat if she were alive. You're the only family I have now. Dad died last year. Love, Teddy. Mrs. Thompson went to that wedding and sat where Teddy's mother would have sat. She deserved to sit there. She had done something for Teddy that he could never forget. We are called to care for the needy, the helpless, the orphan, the widow, to give of ourselves, our time, our money, everything we have. That's what Moses is teaching us. Let's all bow for a word of prayer. Abba, we thank you for your words that you spoke 3,500 years ago to individuals, to a community going into the land, to be different than all the nations of the world. You called them to be family people, care for the needs of each other, to be fair, justice, and justice and equality for all people. You called them to take care of the needy and the poor and to live pure and godly spiritual lives. Lord, cause us to do the same. Cause us to live our lives for you, to be pure in doctrine and belief and practice in helping out others. For we ask all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen.